Welcome to this podcast of But Did You Die? Podcast by Ops Medical Group with your host, Craig, Mandy, Wendy, and me, John. We are an acute care and emergency medicine clinicians. Our goal with this podcast is to provide education and entertainment by bringing you insights into our experiences to help you better understand critical aspects of medicine. We hope that our stories provide you both uh, an insight into the technical and human side of medicine. Our ultimate goal is to help you develop the technical, mental, and emotional tools to handle emergent events. Welcome back, guys. Glad we're uh, able to get together. We are short windy today. Unfortunately, she's having to work. Uh, so Boo. I know. I know. We was hoping we would have her because Wendy, along with Craig, have had some very real-world experience in emergency preparation, which is what we wanted to talk about today. Uh, I know Wendy's told me anecdotally her experiences through uh, working in emergency settings with hurricanes, because I know she worked uh, just north of Houston for a number of years. So her experience there was with uh, hurricanes, and she's had some pretty impressive stories. So I, I wish she were here today to expand on that. Um, but we also, in addition to sort of talking about some of the nuts and bolts of emergency preparation, want to talk about the mental preparation because that's just as important. I mean, I think that just mentally being aware that things don't go right is going to be just as important as having the actual tools. Because if you have the tools, but you don't have the mindset to use them, well, it's just the same as not having the tools. Um, even just having the knowledge to use the tools to have the mindset all, you know, you yeah. got to put it all together. Otherwise, you're yeah. going to be just there with the tool. Yeah. I think it gives you a little more confidence if you have the tools. No, seriously. Yeah, it does. And I think that's where simulation training has been proven to be so helpful. And I know, like, you know, especially like Craig, like with the military, like they run through simulation after simulation. And they'll try to come up, or at least my understanding is they try to come up with as many scenarios and as many mistakes and problems that can happen along the way. I know when I was in uh, residency training, we would do simulation training and the attendings would just throw all kinds of whack stuff. And it's kind of frustrating when you're going through the moment because you're like, oh, please, this happens and this happens and this happens. Right. But the, the mental aspect is the same. It's like, well, can you mentally handle that change? Can you mentally or I guess psychologically handle it, you know, because even if mentally, even if you've got the book smarts, psychologically you're so stressed you can't access the book smarts, might as well not even have the book smarts. I mean, it's, it's, it takes two, I guess. At least that's what I'm, that's, that's what I've, I've seen. Um, There's multiple layers to, uh, you know, I think about what you just said, you know, the training aspect, and to me, the, training has often been worse than some of the actual missions you end up having to conduct. Um, and you have to be extremely flexible because one person, it's kind of like you said, you know, you have, and it's like an attending, right? You have one attending that, you know, he likes heparin, and then you have another one that likes Plavix, and then you have another one that just likes Levinox. And when you order one, and then the other one's like, why'd you order that? It's like, you, you know who's on today, right? <laughs> yes. Right? And, and so when you're dealing with leadership problems, it's the same way, right? Because those same people are going to be running a different kind of environment. Uh, unfortunately, when you're doing an exercise with the military, all three of them are hitting you at the same time. Yeah, it makes it challenging. And so you're like, wow, you know, I'm going to do this. And they're like, well, Okay. I don't really care if you don't like it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this nonetheless. We're going to go down this, this hole and this pathway. Well, um, I know, like, when we were in, in training, uh, residency training, my attendings wanted the simulation trainings to be so uncomfortable that when we got to running a real code or a trauma resuscitation or whatever the scenario, that it was so much easier. Um, and I kind of, I mean, as stressful as the simulations were, I really appreciated that because I started to see that growth of, oh, wow, the actual running of a code is so much easier now than what they put me through in the simulation because they can change so many different situations. And so right. it not only 
provides you the knowledge that you need, the tools that you need, but also the psychological experience that you have knowing I can handle this. When the situation changes and all of a sudden they, the patient you know, now has no pulse and we have to start CPR or whatever, you've gone through so many renditions of that version that it's, it's not Yeah, you know what the, the next step is in case whatever other travesty pops up. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think like with emergency preparation stuff, that's what makes it so difficult. Most of us probably haven't really been in an emergency situation. I mean, COVID for me is probably the first time professionally I've been in a semi-emergency situation, um, mass emergency situation. Um, I did simulation training for mass casualty stuff in residency program, but but they I, didn't tell you you were not going to have water. They didn't tell you you weren't going <laughs> to yeah, have uh, heat in the middle of a snowstorm. And right, right. That there was going to be 120 people sitting in the waiting room, and you're going to have to see them all. Yeah. yeah. And, and so provide services and... Yeah, with something. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody well, needs dialysis, too. And then that's actually the interesting thing. So, like, my attendings, I, I credit them a lot. They were they were great. I had an awesome experience in residency, and I contribute or I attribute a lot of... Uh, any success I've had to to them because they very much were uh, psychologically flexible. Like, they had that ability, and, and I think they prided themselves on that ability to, oh, we don't have this uh, IV? That's okay. We'll figure it out. Like, they never freaked out. It's like, oh, we don't have a, a laryngoscope? They didn't throw a tantrum. And... They didn't throw a tantrum. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I see that now, and I'm like, dude, They were adapt. flexible in their capability exactly yeah and when you when you put that tangent and you put that in a person or that person is able to grasp it without you know you coaching them uh, that's when you have something um, pretty unique in your organization yeah I mean what isn't isn't the saying adapt and overcome I mean I've heard that said before and you know I always respected their ability to to do that it's like okay we don't have this particular tool all right what can we use in its place it's not ideal, and we'll address that, but we need to address the emergency at hand yeah. and not freak out at the nurse or the administration who can't do anything in the moment anyway. And all you're doing is delaying taking care of the patient or situation in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, and that I thought that was really pretty awesome. But I, I see a lot of physicians and that aren't, and there's probably other professions as well, that aren't able to... Yeah, they can't to adapt without. and use the resources that are available to you. If they don't have that specific syringe, they're like, what do I do? Like, it just doesn't compute that, well, what can you, what else can you do? I mean, I, I'm not saying you don't want to have, you don't want to set yourself up for success because you do. But in an emergency but, situation, yeah, yeah. you've got to be able to, one, survive and, you know, the plan is for good outcomes, or as best an outcome as you can provide with what you have. Yeah, yeah. Well, like when, you know, when this, like it's not going to be a perfect situation. <clears throat> like when the snowstorm hit in February. Was it February? Yeah, I think it was February. Um, and you know, every hospital was overrun, and no hospital had power, and no hospital had water, and right. Yeah, it's a big problem, but we still have to function and are we functioning at full capacity no but we still have to function yeah and it's called an emergency for a reason it's not ideal like this isn't your you know outpatient plastic surgery that you can just stop if yeah you, you shut the doors and it, say yeah we're we're closed right yeah no um and that's what makes emergency preparation challenging because i think that you have to have the tools but you have to have the mental strength to be able to a use the tools but be no when to use the tools. Um, you got to have also people in place that understand what what assets and what capabilities they have available to them um, to continue doing a certain part of the mission. And when you need to outsource part of the mission, and that's just the reality of it. So it it would be. Um, you know, if you if you took the 
the emergency room, for example, and you said, well, you know, we want to run, you know, we have these 120 patients that we got to see or whatever, and you would have to say, well, a certain part of them are already going to go home, so let's use some of our assets to discharge them or move them out, and then let's take our other part of our asset and move them into that area and figure out which ones are the higher acuity right off the bat, which is basically triage, right? Uh, the same thing would be for a facility. So you're sitting there and as a facility, as a facility manager or CEO or chief operating officer, you would do the same thing. How much of your facility is functional versus how much is not functional and at what point do you need to move something, divert something, as we say in the emergency room. And you can even extrapolate that out into individuals' lives, like mm -hmm. triage scenarios. You know, Correct. Is it, you know, kind of going back to our overall theme, but did you die? Right. Is it that big a deal? You know, do you triage it as something that is an actual emergency, or is it something that can be addressed tomorrow or the next day? And I'm not saying procrastinate. I'm saying triage it, like put it in its place. I think a lot of people end up making things a bigger deal than it really needs to be um, for whatever reason. And some of it is perhaps... Lack of preparedness. Yeah, and lack of preparedness <laughs> and probably also some lack of... Well, we get used to fluff, let me just be honest, oh, right? Yeah. So you get used to fluff and your warm, fuzzy stuff, and you're like, you know, here's my warm, fuzzy blanket. And the minute you pull that away, then it's like, uh, I don't have my warm, fuzzy. And I'm like, where's my warm, fuzzy, right? So it starts to, like, linger on your mind. Hey, anybody see my warm, fuzzy? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where's my whoopee? <laughs> and then you're like, wait, where's my snacks? My snacks are... So now you're, like, upset. Like, where's my, where's my warm, fuzzy? Where's my snacks, right? Oh, yeah. somebody took my water, right? You know, I think about like, you know, survival school and it's like you take all that away and you're like sitting out in the sun and you're, I don't have anything, right? I remember. <laughs> you're just like, what do yeah. I do? So it goes back to what you were talking about earlier. You know, you're like, well, you have to mentally prep and it's like, yeah, okay, I, I get it. Like, this is going to suck a lot right now. And I'm just going to go through the motions of this suck and push through this. And hopefully everything's going to turn out okay, right? Like, well, and, <laughs> we're all going to yeah, go home alive, right? And my, hopefully. Well, my first experience with stuff like that was in team sports. And the coaches would put us through scenarios where it was designed to have us fail, which, of course, irritated the, you know, 14, 15-year-old me because I was like, oh, I want to win, and this is bullshit, and I, I can't believe that you would do this. It's not even fair. And the point wasn't for it to be fair or not fair. The point was for you to learn that you have to adapt and you have to, A, also learn how to lose. Um, but throwing us into those scenarios where it's like, well, you're not going to have everything go right because the t other team that's playing against you, they don't want things to go right for you. So we have to prepare for that. And that's kind of, of course, I didn't have that thought process at the time going right. through it. But <laughs> looking back on it, I realized that's exactly what they were trying to do. And in a bigger scheme, they're trying to prepare you for life. I mean, it's what I love about team sports mm -hmm. is it, you learn how to work with other people, how to communicate with other people, how to deal with success, how to deal with failure, and at the same time, you know. In a healthy way. Hopefully, yes. Yeah, hopefully. I that's, mean, that's the hope. That's the, yeah, that's, that's the hope. Um, but also recognizing, like, you can have all the plans in the world, and if you're not flexible, and they're able to shift to something because of change, because your star player breaks his or her ankle. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to give up? No, we're going to play. Is it a big loss? Yeah, it's a big loss if you have your number one go down. But, you know, it's a big loss if you have a hospital without water, too. But you can't not see patients. I mean, you have to do the best you can with what you've got. But that's sort of the, the mental toughness side of things where... Yes, the preparation is key, and I think that I think that builds on the psychological strength. I mean, I think that there um, there may be some individuals out there who are just mentally tough and can do it without any of those sort of uh, scenarios. But I think it'd be wise for more of us to run through those scenarios where, oh, by the way, oh, you wanted that medicine? We don't have it. You know, just in a scenario, uh, a practice scenario. 
you're like, oh crap, what, I mean, I'm always relying on heparin or whatever the medicine right. is. Yeah. Well, wait a minute, what else can I use besides, okay. It's like, because if you're always relying on that one thing, you know, or you're always relying on, um, you know, the, 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 the glide scope to mm-hmm. do an intubation, um, well, what if the glide scope is not working? And for anybody listening, the glide scope is a, a video scope. Um, if anybody's listening and doesn't know, it's a, a tool that is used in the emergency room or the ICU to help intubate a patient. It allows the uh, physician to actually view, like view the, the vocal cords with a camera, which it's, I mean, it's really cool. It is. It's an amazing technology until it doesn't work. And if you are so reliant on that technology that you can't do what they call a direct lingaroscope, where you are just doing the classic uh, intubation and looking, you're going to be you're going to be in a world of hurt if you're so reliant on that bit of technology. Um, and the same could be true for if you're so reliant on one particular medicine or one particular, I don't know, what anything. Um, same thing for an ultrasound. Yeah. You know, you, you look at folks who are trying to put a central line in and they're super reliant on an ultrasound and it's like, I got news for you. It's not going to work today. <laughs> you know, here you go. Or you right? may be in a facility that <clears throat> can't afford that. Yeah. That, I mean, that, some of these that other rural well. places, you know, they don't have a lot of the stuff that well, some well, of the larger you, cities have. When you have. look at our, our military kits, you know, as John's talking about, and, um, you know, we have batteries, and those batteries only last that so long. And so you're prepping a mission to last only so long then for, for that time frame to get back to the aircraft or whatever, uh, to home station and uh, civilization. And you can plug back into regular stuff and, and have that available. But to prepare to go and do it without anything, you know, is is really like old school medicine, right? You're sitting there and you're doing a, a real physical exam. You're, you know, basically making the patient naked, as you know, in trauma. And, you know, I'm going to find everything that's leaking and start put, plugging all those holes and then start making the move yeah. after that, you know, securing them on a backboard and getting ready to, to head on out. Um, well, I know some, a lot of the older doctors, the older generation of doctors that were involved in my training, not that they were opposed to CT scans, but they definitely made it made us acutely aware that we rely way more on those advanced images than they ever did. He's like, I don't really need a CT scan to find an appendicitis. Okay, I mean, that's kind of a bold statement, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I understood what he was getting at in terms of the physical examination skills that they developed without those advanced images. I mean, I don't, I don't have to touch the patient to find an appendicitis. And that's not probably a good thing. You know I mean? You, you still need to be involved in that because if you lose that skill. Well, I think like New Zealand only has like one CT scanner. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I met a doc a few years ago, and we're sitting around talking, and I can't remember. We were in a course together, and he was talking about doing a thorough physical exam. And he goes, I'm going to tell you right now, we don't have a CT scan. Wow. He's like, there's only one CT scanner, and it's backed up for the year. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. Yeah. I was like, that's really interesting. And they have like two MRI machines, I think. For the whole country? Yeah. That's crazy. I could be wrong. So you got to schedule that thing like two years in advance, probably. Yeah, but Gandalf lives over there, right? That's true, yeah. yeah, (laughs) We should be good with him. Yeah, Yeah, he's good. Just, you know, do his little stuff, and there we go. It's all all good. Yeah. That's Uh, crazy. So they're extremely thorough then with their physical exams over there. You have to be if you don't have any kind of imaging equipment. Well, not that they don't, but if it's not as readily available to them as it is to us here. But we do. I mean, yeah. we, we genuinely, like John was saying, like, I mean, we genuinely, I remember when I left the ICU and started doing EM, I was like, I've never ordered so many CT scans in my life, you know, like CT the head, CT the neck, CT. I was like, really? Like, 
we really don't see T that much in the ICU. I mean, we did because it was surgery, I, but it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't I, to the extent that it is. And in, the, the in crazy, the, ER. the crazy thing, I remember. Oh, it's been a couple of years now. I clinically, or I clinically ruled out the need for a CT scan of the head and the neck with um, the the clinical decision rules for the Canadian CT head rule mm -hmm. and the Nexus C-spine rules. Mm -hmm. Put that in my note. Um, and the next day, the... That's what you talked about. Admitting doctor or whatever, because um, I remember it was a night shift, and that when I was leaving that morning, the, the day doctor came in and gave me hell for not getting a CT. He's like, how do you know? I was like, I was like well, this is... A validated scoring system. This is why I didn't get X, Y, Z. Well, you just, I mean, and the fact that I hadn't gotten the scan, like there was, it just, it, he could not compre comprehend that it was un unnecessary. Like he was like, he ended up ordering it. I looked later, he ended up ordering it. And Did I'm he like, find anything? No, no. And I'm not saying that, yes, he could have, uh, but it just the expectation on us from the emergency room is to overdo everything mm -hmm. and it's you know I, I don't you're practicing law medicine to a I think that's what it boils down to yeah yeah that's yeah. what it sounds like yeah but like so shifting gears back to sort of the mentality when I brought this this book out um this book's called the survivors club it's by a guy named Ben Sherwood I read it a few years back and I brought it out today because I was thinking through the the stories that this author writes about are largely consumed with the mentality of surviving. And I guess I'm extrapolating that a little bit to emergency preparation um, because at the end of the day, we want to go home, we want to survive, whether it's a hurricane or an earthquake. Yeah, or that's essentially the name of the game in like the emergency yeah. room or emergency preparedness yeah. is survival. Yeah. and. Or if you're out west and you're yeah. dealing with these giant forest Survival fires. Survival as many as you can to survive um, good outcomes. But yeah. these, these stories in this book are all about the different sort of mental toughness uh, that he observed in persons. And sometimes that manifested in people as a strong faith in their, their belief, uh, in, in their religion. Sometimes that manifested in a... Uh, very realistic approach to, hey, I, uh, I have cancer, this sucks. Um, and, I, and I might not make it, and I might. Um, but it wasn't always like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this one. It's going to be great. Um, and he has a chapter where he talks about various traumas, which is pretty interesting. But again, it kind of goes back to uh, just some of the, the mental toughness that he observes. And some of it's about, you know, other things that have nothing to do with mentally tough. If you're the patient who is knocked out, you might have just gotten lucky. <laughs> um, but you know, you want to you want to take that into account when you're trying to prepare. Is you want to prepare your mind. You want to keep your mind sharp, keep your body sharp. I mean, if you're not physically able to move, how are you going to get out of the rate way of ever? survival? Has drastically decrease. Yeah. I mean, if you have to, you know, expedite an exit because of an oncoming hurricane and you're too obese to move at a rate that's, you're, I mean, well, it's just not taking care of yourself. Yeah. You know? And so that's part of what goes into preparation is not just making sure you have a, you know, pocket knife and a lighter you've got to make sure that you've got you've taken care of yourself you're as physically able to maneuver as you possibly can at your best yeah be it obese people or um you know people with any kind of handicap or whatever yeah i don't necessarily look at it as a I, you know, I think about dudes that I've done stuff with that were, I know, definitely smarter than me and definitely stronger and faster, right? Um, and then you get into really bad 
scenarios and, and a lot so you know like we'll just talk about like training environments um there was this i remember there was this guy and he was constantly talking about his deployment to iraq and you know how badass he was and all this other kind of stuff and super smart dude like way higher gpa than me you know <laughs> scored significantly higher and everything else and i when we started this this training, um, I told him, and I remember this very vividly now that you're talking about this, I was like, this is not Iraq, you know? And this isn't school. We're in the middle of nowhere, and we're about to get dropped off. And you're gonna go that way, and I'm gonna go this way, and we'll see where we are at the end. And that's, that's how that went. And he, he didn't do well. And um, a lot of it is the minute somebody hits that, I want to say there, there's like this line in your soul, right? And, and you hit that point where you feel mentally and physically worn and it just breaks you. And there are some people that hit it and then they just bounce right back up. Or they hit it and they're like, dude, this really sucks, right? And then they turn right around and they're like, I'm not gonna let this bitch beat me. He hit it and it was like, this isn't my deployment to Iraq. I'm not getting a bronze star out of this. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting another degree. I'm not getting this. You know what? I quit. Damn. And that's when you know you're different than other people. When you're like, okay, I've been there, done that, and now I have to do this thing, which I really don't want to do. I don't want to be here. But the, I have to be here because I was told I have to be here. And I'm gonna finish this. That's gonna be on our podcast, which is yeah, awesome. Bunch of gunshots. I um, I think I broke in med school. Actually, I think that I had you know, it's one of those things. You, in order to just be considered for med school, you have to you know always, almost always have A's and have good test scores, and you've got to have all these. Now, I mean, even now to get all the extracurriculars that you have to have. Yeah. I mean, most of the most of the applicants now, they can't even go directly in. They have to have X number of years of work experience in some sort of a medical area. I mean, it's... Be part <sighs> of research and all kinds of, yeah, then you get be to published. Then you get to and med school, and everyone else is just like you. They've gone through all this, all the hoops, and they, they're used to making the top scores and top this. And you realize, like, oh, I'm, I'm probably just average among these crew and you start getting these tests and the information is you know the, it's the, the the classic drinking from a fire hydrant you know that's what they tell and it is that is very much that and you're like you start realizing like oh shit i'm not getting a's all the time this is this sucks and you know i'm not gonna oh and and that probably means i'm not gonna be able to get to do the residency that I want to do or go to the residency program that I'm going to do and you can just hit that wall and at some point I, I got to that point where I was like I don't think I should be a doctor like I'm not smart enough like you start or at least I did I started yeah. telling myself and, and my wife finally was just like you probably should go talk to this counselor who right. was a good friend of ours at, at church and I was like yeah you're probably right yeah. and it was kind of that point where and he, he pointed he's like he pointed out he's like okay so let's say you Let's say you're just an average, an average med student. He's like, "What's wrong with that?" And I was like, "Well, I, 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 I don't know. Like, what? <laughs> you know, it's and it's just like some objective person pointing out. He's like, let's say you're at the bottom of your class. What's wrong with that?'" I was like, "Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't, might not get into residency. He's like, well, maybe that wasn't a good residency for you anyway. He's like, you know, what, what, like, what are your, right. what are your end goals, right? And so all of a sudden, I started to think through. Like, it's like, do I really give a shit? if I'm not like the top of my class in med school? Like, yeah, I kind of do because I'm competitive and so there's that yeah. drive. But is that really my goal? Or is my goal to be a physician that is 
doing the right thing and helping people and being yeah. like, you know, and, and I started to see as I kind of let that go, so to speak, um, and, and don't, don't get me wrong, I was definitely just an average med student at best, but I did well in residency and I enjoyed, I had a great residency experience. And I think that's because that was what I wanted to be doing for one. And because I started to see like, it doesn't matter if I'm not, you know, as good of a, you know, test taker or if my GPA isn't as good. Like what matters is you can make a decision in the heat of the moment and you can clinically assess, is this a big deal? You know, and like, if it's not a big deal right now, well, let's just find a doctor smarter than me to take care of it. <laughs> That's and always a good answer. It really is. And it's, it, but it was also very liberating to have that, like, you, you hit that wall and you break and you're like, well, this sucks. And then you kind of realize it's like, you're right. You can do one of two things. I could have quit. Right. Or you can just say, well, okay, what's my actual goal here? You get back up, move forward. And I mean, that doesn't mean that it's pretty and you're not like, you know, I'm not like, leaving med school with a bunch of accolades, but finished and moved on and nobody cared. I mean, so for, I guess, being mentally prepared with emergency preparedness, would you say it's realizing that you may hit that point where everything will probably go wrong and just being able to calmly collect yourself and refocus and kind of reassess the situation? I don't want to say that you have to necessarily, being calm kind of helps, I can tell you already, right? Um, you know, there's always that story that you hear is, you know, moving through the operational system of the military where they're like, you know, beware the calmest guy in the room, right? He's already, <laughs> he's already planned how he's gonna kill everybody. <laughs> so uh, does it help? Yes. Uh, is it? going to be there every time you want it to be there? Absolutely not. It's not, it's not going to happen. It, it, I, I can tell you, for, even for myself, I've had moments where, um, you know, like in this case where I went to this training thing that I just absolutely hated, um, you know, there was a sense of panic for me at a certain point, and I was just like, this really sucks. Like, I just want to go home, right? And, but I kept going. Yeah, there's, it does help. Like, you know, sit down, collect your thoughts, say, hey, you know what, what, what is my end goal? And just kind of push forward. Um, things are going to break. Uh, from yourself, like emotionally, your heart, your, your physical, uh, you know, body is going to break at certain points even uh, because it all it all coincides right so you, here you are you're in this high stress environment you're sitting there and you're like you haven't eaten you haven't drank anything you haven't slept and now you're you're gonna you're gonna break a bone or tear tear a ligament or something um or you're gonna make a mistake which is even harder to recover right because you sit there and you're like well, nobody's even said anything about making mistakes, right? Because emergency prep, you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm not going to make a mistake. No, you're, you're, you're going to make a mistake. That's coming. It's just a matter of how bad the mistake is. Uh, you, either you get lost in, in the wild, you know, uh, you go up. That sounds like a real bad day. <laughs> just so, so I'll tell you what happened. I, I remember I looked at this map, and it was like my last day doing this, this exercise, and I thought, I could cr cover this terrain faster with no detection versus going to lowlands, which was more like a marsh area. And everybody was kind of like going through the marsh. So I went up high, covered, went around this ridge. And as I'm coming around, I ended up meeting a couple of other guys that had decided to do the same thing. And they were spent, right? And as every time I passed like a spent person, I was like, you know, talking to them and like, hey, you know, we're almost there. Don't worry about it. Um, and then I go up another, I'm going up another hill and it's super rocky. It's out in the desert and uh, I'm going up this thing and I start realizing I'm getting dizzy and my legs really burn now. And 
Yikes. Yeah, and so I would take three or four steps, and then I would stop, and then I would take three or four steps, and then I would stop. And, you know, and I, when, when you're preparing a big, giant facility or a, a city or a county, you have to do the same thing, right? Like, in, in my head, I'm thinking about it now, like, take three or four steps, stop, reevaluate what you're doing, reassess, right? Like in trauma, reassess, reassess, reassess. Okay, I'm better. Now I can go again. So you start moving again. And you get over the next little hill and you're thinking to yourself like, man, I made it. And then you realize, fuck, I got to go down the hill. Uh. (laughs) And every step I took was more painful than the step than coming up it because now my legs were even more spent. Yeah. You know, I hadn't eaten in days. Having just recently hiked, going. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Downhill was awful. Yeah. Downhill is awful. And everybody thinks, oh, that's cool, you know. No, it's not. It's awful. It's worse than going uphill. It's like a quad workout from hell. It is. It's awful. Yeah. And I remember falling. Uh, There were moments where I just, like, just tried sliding down, you know, on my ass. Just, like, I'm going to go down this thing. And it's like, then your pants are tearing. You know? (laughs) It's like, yeah, this is not going to work. So let me get back up and try this again. (laughs) And, um, you know, I get to the end, and I'm... I'm I'm just grateful. I'm like I just want some water and just leave me here for just a minute, right? Um, but then you think about it, it's like you know you're, you're running an ER, you're running an ICU or whatever, or, or a hospital, small town. It's the same thing, right? Like take a moment to like take care of yourself, your your mental health as you're going through it, because if you don't, when you get back up, uh, those deficits are going to be there. And then you're going to be hit with more problems. And those problems, when they hit you, uh, they hit you harder, in my opinion, uh, as you're trying to, like, regroup yourself to, to prepare anything. And if you're already physically, mentally, you know, spiritually spent, then it's, it's one of those things. It just where compounds, the de- I think. Well, it's the decision-making. You know, John frequently talks about this, where it's like, you know, you, you only have so many good decisions, right? And now you're like, whoa. I'm going to make this decision now. And it's like, yeah, dude, that's, that's going to be a no-go. And, and it, of course, you could get lucky, right? And you, you make that decision. You hand it off to somebody, to one of your subordinates, and then that subordinate runs with it. And he's like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this instead. And you're just lucky, right? It's pure luck because you're, you're making a decision, and then your subordinate's completely going in a different direction, which is a benefit to you. The big yeah, thing. they have maybe a fresher perspective. Yeah. Or different. No, definitely. Well, I think, too, um, going back to the simulation training, I don't know that that can be understated. I mean, I really think the importance of that. The problem is, how do you simulate training in life, right? Like, like you said, something is going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. It just is. And the, the hard part is, well, what is that something? And a lot of times it's something you never expected. So like I told y'all earlier, you know, my wife calls me yesterday morning. It's like 730 in the morning and I'm about to start seeing patients. And she's like, hey, um, my car just broke down in the middle of the intersection. And I was like, what the hell? She's like, yeah, I just did. I can't even turn my flashers on. And I was like, you, your car's not that old. Like, <laughs> what's going on? She's like, I don't know. And so I'm, I'm sitting here like, what? OK, all right. I'm, you know, she's in the moment. So it's harder for her to. She's got our, our kids in the in the car trying to get them to school. And so she's like trying to okay, what it's like, all right, hey, just lift up the lift up the hood. That'll signal to people because people are like honking at her like she wants to just hang out in the middle of the intersection. Like this, come on. Um those are just That's put, a new thing now. Just park it in the intersection. Yeah, it's convenient. <laughs> um, and so I was like, Oh, just put put the hood up and that'll signal. Like, well, she goes up there and like, she pops the pops the hood and then she reaches on it, she's trying to find the latch. And she can't figure out how to do it. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I've never told her how to do that. And I'm trying to think to myself, like, is it to the right? Is it, how do I do it? I'm like, Joe's like, just try this, try this. You know, and fortunately, somebody pulled up, some nice gentleman pulled up behind her and put his flashers on for her. And, you know, and, but just kind of, I never would have thought to, oh, hey, I need to show you how to open your hood. Right. It's just, you Yeah, because you're like, oh, it's a brand new car. What are the odds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and yet, it, not that that was, I guess, an emergency but the point is, it's hard to prepare for everything. It's impossible to prepare for everything that's going to go wrong. What's not impossible to prepare for is having the mental state that says, okay, 
something's going to go wrong, and that's okay. I'm, I'm going to be able to, to deal with this, and that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be emotionally spent or challenged or angry or frustrated or whatever. Um, but the more you can simulate experiences, whether it's in you know, the ER or in the military um, or Hell, even in jujitsu, when I'm when I'm rolling with my friends, like that's what we're doing. We're just trying to drill over and over this one, so that if we if if I happen to catch you in that one move, I'm gonna be ready for it. And if if I happen to catch you in that one move, and we've been drilling it, you're gonna be ready for it because you're gonna know how to defend it. So, but if you don't drill it, if you don't simulate it, if you don't practice it, like unless you're that you know super rare, talented person that has those skills. Eh, you're not going to see that move any more than you are going to realize that it's okay not to have a glide scope and you can just do a direct ling ring. So, I mean, it's, it's all about mental preparation as much as physical preparation. Craig, in preparing some of these, um, being in preparation for some of these events, what would you say? Like, is there a specific checklist that you kind of have for different scenarios or situations? Kind of like a generic one? Like just basic stuff? We... I've dem definitely formulated plans, right, for either states or regions in general um, on how to do, like, say, for example, a, a mass patient movement and a slash mass public evacuation of something. Um, so the answer to the question is yes, but they're sitting in someone else's vault now yeah. um, because I'm not over that anymore. Um, do. So in my mind, I would think like available staff, like just saying an emergency situation, just generically broadly, available staff, well, having you, you people that to, you contact for resources. Well, one, you have to know all your resources. So you, do, do I genuinely feel there needs to be like a emergency management officer for every hospital? I'd probably say there has to be somebody trained either in it specifically, and so that way they understand all their resources to include like the city, state, and probably military resources that will probably be available. And then you have um, other folks who decide to cross-train in it. Uh, the cross-training in my opinion and, and this is just my opinion. Um, you know, you either train a nurse, a pharmacist, or a, a doctor, uh, maybe even an admin guy to do it. They're cross-trained to do it. Uh, they, they can then have two hats, but it all depends on how the facility functions or um, how that government site functions. So if they allow that person to continue to still practice, in my opinion, probably brings more value to that one individual because they bring more capability, right? They bring a hands-on capability and then they bring a, a planning perspective, uh, which is basically they understand all the resources and what numbers mm -hmm. to call, which is good, right? Because that's the first thing you want. Uh, I remember going to, I was down in Corpus Christi uh, doing a, a drill with them for the hurricanes and I remember, you know, golly, there were so many people, um, so many news companies, and the, you know, they all were asking all these questions. And, and in my opinion, you know, um, I felt like they weren't asking the right questions. And, and I told them that. I, I finally told this one person, I said, hey, you know, you keep asking if Texas is prepared or if the city's prepared or if the military's prepared or this, that, and the other. But you haven't asked what to do when it hits, right? Because what ends up happening is there are people, and I, I would probably say even more so today, that want to be confrontational with like a hurricane. 
that, you know, don't want to leave their home. And, okay, that's fine, but understand if they get in trouble, where they need to go to. And, you know, what I told him, I was like, you know, where am I right now? He's like, well, you're at the airport. Like, so where do you think they should come to? That's what you should be telling people. Like, hey, if you get into trouble, somehow make it to the airport. Because the military's going to have to show up with airlift. Or the city's going to be there with supplies. Versus, hey, you know, do you think we're really ready? Is anybody really ready? You know? Yeah. Uh, nobody likes it, right? And But when you're in three or four feet of water and, you know, you're carrying your baby and your dog's behind you swimming, trying to keep up with you and... You're That's kind of one of those nebulous questions, like, are we ready? Okay, yes, no, maybe so, but, like, what do you tell the public? Yeah, I mean, that, and that's exactly right, like, just kind of what you said, like, what do you, I mean, kind of are we ready? We're kind of past the point of no return, like, so are we ready is, we're past that, like, it's like, okay, if you do this, then right. be advised, like, you may not survive, or, like, this is where you need to go to for right. the general public. No, I agree. Right, because, I mean, you know, when you, when I, when we plan, you know, and I, and I say we, but you know, referring to the military, when we plan, you know, every, you know, you come up with these big, giant operational, um, you know, con ops, and you, you think about, well, you know, well, we need this, and we need this, and we need this, and we need this, and when it all starts, the first thing that you want to see is like, okay, who's in charge, and how's our communication going to run? And ultimately, when I look at the civilian population, like each individual person is in charge of their own life. There's nothing that I have control over them. I can't go into their house and arrest them. I can't go into their house and pull them out. They have to come to me. Yeah. Right? And even with the emergency room, like, you're not going to be like, oh, oh, you know what, this guy's sick. I just saw him on YouTube, and I'm going to run over to his <laughs> hospital, you know, to this house and, you know, go take him out, you know, like, I'm going to intubate him, and it's, it doesn't work like that, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like, hey. I saw him on the Facebook Live. He <laughs> didn't look so good. Yeah. I'll be back, guys. I saw him on Twitter. He, <laughs> I think he has COVID. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Well, I know there's a fellowship after emergency medicine. It's a one- to two-year fellowship in disaster medicine. I mean, that's like, yeah. you know, talk about, you know, super, you know, specialized mm -hmm. area yeah. of medicine. But, I mean, clearly there is a lot to it. And that's where it gets challenging because you've got you've to communicate that information the best you can to the population and hope that they are receiving the information um, and not dismissing it. Um, but then people have to take personal responsibility, too. If they're going to stay at home during a hurricane... And shit hits the fan. Well, that'd be an interesting. You've been warned. Course or, you know, fellowship to do. I think. Oh yeah. I don't know. I wasn't here um, when snow apocalypse happened. I actually just happened to be. I flew into town like the day before it all went bad. Yeah, it was cool like AIDS. So <laughs> I I don't know if anyone in the news was like preparing the public in that manner, like hey. We may lose water if you do, like, fill your tubs or gather water or no, because heaters, no, nothing. Okay. Because I was always no. curious because so, I didn't know so that they didn't happened. Know. They, they were preparing the roads. They were they had, you know, blocked off uh, overpasses, and they were prepared for that. Yeah. They were prepared for the snow. What they didn't anticipate was the tax on the, um, the, grid. the, the grid. Yeah. And when that shut down, well, that's when we lost the power in addition to the water. So because the the water plant apparently lost power. Yeah, I so heard that too. that was a problem. So, no, because they didn't expect that. And again, should they have expected that? Well, I mean, maybe. But at the same time, like, there are a lot of X factors that it's yeah. hard to, you know. So now we'll know going forward, um, you know. It's just, so no, no one was putting that out there until it happened. Um, yeah, I was just curious. I didn't know because you know, we flew in and then it was like the next day, you know, everything froze over. And I was like, what the hell, yeah, what the hell happened here? It was, uh, I, to be honest, I really didn't even, I was so tired during that time frame because I was cross-covering the, the ICU. Oh, yeah. And um, I, I just, 
I remember looking at my phone and it said, hey, it's going to snow. And I just went to sleep. I didn't even think twice about yeah, it. Yeah, we flew in and then in the evening they were like, yeah, it's going to be frigid tomorrow. And I was like, oh, great. We bought all the damn snow from Colorado. But yeah. it was colder here than it was in Colorado, which was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Well, I was lucky because I was off work that day and um, woke up. And, of course, it's beautiful. The snow's out. And at the, at the, the first day, we still had power. We had water. Everything was Yeah. Good. Day one kid, was cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. My kids are loving it. And we're all out there. And I'm like, I don't have to work today. It's awesome. Whatever. <laughs> snow you know, day. Snow day. Hell yeah. Um, and, you know, a couple of days later, we don't have water. We don't have power. I was like, yeah, this is not as cool as it <laughs> was initially. And so it's like, you know, but we're okay. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, it sucked not having water, and we're <laughs> melting snow in the bathtub to try yeah. to, you know, try to flush toilets, and, and it's just, it, it sucked. Yeah, my kids are outside playing. My husband was like, "Do do do." I was like, "All right," and I started getting buckets of like snow, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, yeah. "Hey, we have water now, but this may not last long. Like, yeah. you know, because we, yeah. we had the well, and it just was so cold yeah. where we were at. I think it had well, dropped down the, to like negative thirteen or some <sighs> stupid number. But then you have the the, the mass mentality that exhibits in bizarre ways, whether it's COVID or snowstorm or hurricane, where people rush to the store and for whatever reason, toilet paper is needed by in mass or milk or bread. It's like, who's drinking that much fucking milk? Like, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> the mentality, instead of preparing ahead of time, yeah. do you live in an area where, get, where it gets hurricanes? Have your shit together. Mm. Do you live in an area with, with earthquakes? Yeah. Have your shit together. You know, like, know what you're, just pay attention a little bit. Yes, yeah. there are a lot of things you cannot account for, but all these people running out and getting a kajillion gallons of water, it's like, really? You didn't have any water that could have lasted you for a few days? Like, the city's working on getting this back together. We're not going to be out of water forever. It's going to be a priority. But people go in, you, you go into HEB or right. whatever, and it's like a, you know, a zombie I knew a couple zone. people that went and bought a beer and just... It was funny. They took their little selfies and had sitting outside with the beer in the snow and enjoyed their little bit of time there. Mm-hmm. I just remember coming off shift and I went home and made a little glass of whiskey and sat outside, just enjoyed the weather. And, you know, then I end up looking at my phone and seeing, because, you know, we didn't even have a lot of... Um, Cell reception because oh, the yeah. towers were down. Yeah, yeah. yeah that and was... the few minutes I did have cell reception, I'd be like, hmm, "That's what's going on outside." Yeah. And then just put my phone Sounds back bad down. In the rest of the world. <laughs> Let me have another sip. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, you know, in some ways, it was also good too because it forced me to, you know, not not that I'm advocating to, you know, let your kids watch a ton of TV, but sometimes it's easier when you have stuff to do. Be like, hey, you want to watch a show? while we'll do some work at home. But it forced me to be like, let's play a game. <laughs> Let me teach you how to play Monopoly. Let me teach you how to play, you know, like stuff where it like yeah. forces them to, you know, learn something new, interact with something, you know. I'm sure that they watch too many screens regardless of what we try to do, but it, it was kind of nice to have some of that downtime forced. It's yeah. Like, it wasn't nice when things came back up and I realized how behind I was. Yeah. But, you know, I mean. So emergency preparedness. Yeah. Have a plan. Have a plan. At least have a mental Some plan. Some kind of plan, yeah. right? At least be prepared to, like, you know, deal with all the changes that are going to hit you mentally because there's no, you know, and once again, you know, I do that exercise all over again in my head and just I, I can remember it vividly. Um, had I wish I'd gone the other way? Probably not because... The ones that took the easy route ended up getting caught and failing the course. And Yikes. Yeah, so those that took the route that I was on, even though they didn't all finish it, um, it, was, uh, it was good, you know. Um, but I'd say to that story, in addition to the mental preparation, you were physically prepared. And that's, I think, as important, too. Like when we're asking, you know, advising, you know, preparation, it's not just the mental, psychological, it's the physical. you got to be physically prepared. I mean, you would not have made it over the mountain if you weren't physically right. prepared. If you weren't like, hey, look, this is going to suck. And you're even going downhill, you're like, this sucks worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just you've got to physically be prepared. And I think especially our experience in the hospital setting, most of our patients are not physically prepared. 
if something bad happens, i.e. COVID, well, for, they're not yeah. going to do that. I, I really genuinely feel that overall you have to teach your staff how to be resilient. And if you, if you teach your staff how to be resilient, when you're hit with that, um, you know, code blue, when you're hit with those multiple priority wins rolling in the door or you're in the ICU and you have multiple problems going on at the same time, that's what's going to get you past the, the hump. And then you go back and you regroup, you practice your resiliency. You know, if, if it's rolling on the ground, if it's, you know, doing squats or burpees or whatever, running five miles, whatever it is that you decide to do to just clear your head and clear it all, that's, that's how you do it. And that's just my professional opinion. Um, well, I what, think, and I think, too, for any of our listeners who are not medical, um, you're going to have to make a little bit more effort to go find those courses on how to do CPR, uh, how to, you know, how to deal with the, I mean, there are courses out there where it's like, Hey, look, if you're involved in a mass shooting, here's yeah. some things that you can do. And sadly, that's a yeah, real thing. That's the society we live in today. That's, yeah. So you need to be, well, the unfortunate part is really, they're going to pull their camera out and start videoing before they go. Start that's practicing. true. I, yeah. How many times do you see someone videoing something versus intervening? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So if you're, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't be that person. Don't be that person. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, you're right. Definitely the, the mental strength, the resiliency, but also the physical strength. And, mm -hmm. and well, they all coincide they in do. my opinion. They, they, you're totally right. So, the, the classic bar stool that needs the mind, body and spirit to stand up. I mean, it's just kind of a cheesy analogy, but it, I think it's, it's legitimate. Um, but I think those are, those are things. And, and then, you know, just, looking out for opportunities to learn whether it's you know hey make sure you have a fire extinguisher in your house or you know, make sure you have if you have a second story that you have an exit plan if you have a house fire or where do you go if you have a house fire especially if you have kids like where do they go you know like do they know where to meet up at the neighbor's house i mean nobody thinks they're going to have a house fire until you have a house fire i mean and so it's not a fun conversation to have uh but if you're not you know same with having a will. Like, you need to have the awkward conversation, you know? Just, or at least have the conversation. Yeah. I think, I know it's awkward. You're right, it is awkward. But, you know, I tell my kids all the time, if something were to happen to me, let mom go. Yeah, they need to know what your wishes are. Be, like, you don't want to get pegged. No, no trach, no don't, peg. Yeah. I don't need contractures. Just let me go. And, yeah, I'm good. You know, just put me in an urn and bury me under the tree in the backyard and I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah good. I'm good. I'm good. So I think those are, those are some good salient points for, for folks out there. You know, stay strong mentally, keep working to, to be, build your resilience, stay strong physically. Cause it'll, it, it'll add to your, your resilience. It'll add to your mental toughness to realize like, Oh man, I couldn't do a pull up a year ago and now I can like, that's awesome. You know, like it, it's not going to happen without work. Yeah. You're gonna have to put the time in, put the work in, um, but I, I do have a, a funny story to to end this with, and it's not like funny, haha, but it's like one of those things. Like I, so I had a I had a mental block for a couple of years, and I had this block when it came to running. Right, um, I could run three miles, but I couldn't run further than three miles, and I thought, why? And so the like, would I, you just hit the three mile mark and be like, I'm done, and just quit, or <laughs> it was. Yes, it was, but it was, it was coming up to it, right? So I'd, I'd get a mile into it, and I'd be like, man, I feel like really warm. I feel like I'm really going. Get like two and a half miles into it, and I'm like, oh, my back hurts. My knee hurts, you know? <laughs> so my your body's shoulder, already yeah, preparing yeah, you, like, like, come on, bro, we're done. Yeah, I had this huge fight within myself, <laughs> right? And I remember one day, I was like, yeah, I was up in St. Louis, and I was running Forest Park, and uh, my thing was going off my tracker was going off I was like uh, you're getting close to yeah, the three mile yeah, mark yeah and I was and I was already feeling the pain right like my back hurts <laughs> my, you know, my, maybe I'm having a stroke you know all these things are running through my head right <laughs> and I just I remember that day and I was like you know what I'm not going to stop today and and the minute I pushed past that three mile marker right and then I thought okay well I'm like 3.12 and then 3.25 and then three and a half and then it was 
I hit four. And it was like, I broke that demon, right? Like that, I took it. And did I, your body still hurt or did it quit hurting and just say, oh, fuck, this guy's going to keep No, it, I, I don't know what happened. It was like my mindset just changed everything that I was feeling. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I ran. I mean, I, I really ran at that point. The following day, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this again. And the same thing happened. I'm like getting there and it's like two and a half miles. And I'm like, dude, back hurts. My knees hurt. <laughs> you know, my shoulders hurt. My neck hurts. My teeth hurt. <laughs> and I did it again. Right. And I just I kept telling myself, like, I'm just going to keep doing this until finally I'm just like done with it. And, and for me, like when you're preparing for something. And it, it's comical, but at the same time, it's very real because we all have that moment where it's oh, like, yeah. you don't want to, yeah. like, I, I don't want to go past three miles. Look, my body's talking to me, right? <laughs> and then you have those arguments with yourself. I should listen to my body. Oh my God, I could really hurt myself. <laughs> yeah. This is ridiculous. My oh my God. Oh, yeah. What my of course. Just yes, of course. Running, yes. Right? Yeah. And so, yeah. You've been to my house, right? Yeah. So you know how bad those hills are. Yeah. They're awful. Like, it's awful at the neighborhood. So I've run, and I ran this week, and I did two miles. But the whole time, like, I come up to the mile, like, my little, my watch goes off, and it's a mile. And I'm like, fuck, that's a mile? Yeah, I should just walk the rest of it. I mean, you know, my legs are burning, my quads hurt, my back hurts. Oh, my God, this knot in my shoulder. If I keep pushing myself, like, I'm going to probably tear something. Yeah, you have those arguments in your brain all the time. I know I do. So, so I remember rolling. <laughs> I remember rolling with this one dude. Um, this Russian guy, and the minute I would get on the mat with him, I was like ready to give up, right? And I, he, you know, he he felt it, and I was he was like, yeah, you're not gonna not today, like I'm gonna make you hurt. And I was like, man, okay. So I I really had to fight, and I and I think about those moments, right? Like like they all coincide, and then you you realize like you know what? If I change how I think, it'll change how I feel. It'll change how my body performs. And that's what, what it comes down to when it, it comes to this type of preparing for, you know, either a emergency or something that is acutely going to happen around you. Yeah, you have to change how you really think. It's like that mental war you have with yourself. Well, and I know we've been talking about emergency preparedness, yeah. but really this is life preparedness. Yeah, that's true. It really is. It really is just life preparedness. Like, you know, things are going to happen that are bad, that are... You know, you could make the argument that an emergency is somewhat relative. Like, what's an emergent problem to some person? Maybe not for another, I guess. <laughs> That's true. That, that right. is true. Yeah, <laughs> but very like, true. It's life. It is just life. And you've got to be resilient. You've got to be mentally and physically strong. And if you've got that ability, you're prepared for life. And you're always going to have to continue to grow and to learn. And if you elect not to, well, then you're going to suffer the consequences. And you just need to know that that's... That's part of the consequences of, you know, not, you know, fighting one more fight. You know, it's like, you, like you said, this guy is going to make you roll hard because if you don't, he's going to, you know, choke you out. He's going to yeah. put, you know, put the pressure on whatever. Um, he's like, I'm not going to get off you. Like, yeah. What? And after a while, <laughs> after a while, that sucks. <laughs> You're 260 pounds, bro. <laughs> get off <laughs> But I think, yeah, I, mean, I know we, you know, kind of started this with emergency preparedness, but it, it, it's very much life preparedness. Yeah. That's true. Emergency preparedness on uh, personal, family levels, you know, business, society, government. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I agree. Just be, be ready to flex and move and make the right decision when it matters. And even if you make the wrong one, just be prepared to readjust your decision. Yeah. I like it. I think that's it. I think we covered some good points. I think so. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Hope everyone's going, going okay. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Our hope with this podcast, But Did You Die?, is to provide education and entertainment by bringing you insights into our experiences to help you better understand critical aspects of medicine. We hope that our stories provide you an insight into both the technical and human side of medicine. Our ultimate goal is to help you develop the technical, mental, and emotional tools to handle emergent events. 
If you are interested in learning more about the training and consulting services offered by Ops Medical Group and how our leadership and teamwork platforms can be of service to your hospital, medic teams, or business, you can contact us through our website, opsmedicalgroup.com, which is O-P-S-M-E-D-G-R-P.com, and please follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Lastly, Although we are medical professionals, we are not your personal medical professional. This podcast is in in no way to serve as diagnostic information or advice, nor is it to replace any personal medical care that you may need. If you are worried that you may need medical care, please see your private physician or closest emergency department. If you think that you need emergent care, please dial 911.